Well, let's take our Bibles this morning and let's open up to uh, Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. Today is, is Palm Sunday, or as uh, we might call the triumphal entry, uh, as Jesus Christ uh, entered triumphantly into Jerusalem. And so we're, we're going to go ahead and we're going to take a look here at that passage today in Luke chapter 19. And this is, this is kind of an, an interesting passage as we go and we look at this. And, and I had about four different sermons from this passage this week uh, made up. You know, it's, it's a little tough on the preacher going down to one service, I'll be honest here. Uh, I, I'm used to, to, to preaching several times throughout the week, and now I really have to figure out what am I supposed to preach uh, here. And, and going and looking at this, uh, there, there were about four different sermons I had written out uh, from this. And it was about Friday night, late at night, that I was just going through this passage again and again and, and realized, you know what, uh, I, I think that what we're going to do is take a look specifically at the characters here in Luke chapter 19 and this triumphal entry. And we're going to go and, and really look at what some of them did right. Some people didn't do anything right in this. We're going to also look at what they did wrong. There's a couple people in this uh, passage who didn't necessarily do anything wrong or where they ended up in doing wrong. Uh, but we're going to see how this applies to our life. And we're going to go and, and, of course, try to learn from these people. But if you follow along in Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 28, it says, And when he had said this, he went on ahead and going up to Jerusalem, it came to pass that he went near to Bethphage and to Bethany in the mountain called Olivet. That is, uh, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite of you, where, as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, Why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, Because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way, and they found it as he had said to them. But as they were loose in the colt, the owners of it said to, him, to them, Why are you loosing the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of him. And then they brought him to Jesus, and they threw on their clothes on the colt, and they set Jesus on him. As, uh, and as he went, many spread out their clothes on the road. And when he went, then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, uh, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And on some, uh, and some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Now, can you just imagine this narrative here? Just imagine this narrative. I mean, this is an incredible thing. I, I really love this story here. Uh, Jesus goes and he tells his disciples, he says, okay, here's the thing. I want you to go get a donkey. Okay, go ahead, loose this donkey, bring its colt here to me. And, and, and if uh, somebody goes and, and tries to stop you, tell them, the Lord has need of it. Okay, the Lord has need of it. They'll, they'll let you go and do this. And the disciples go and they bring this. They, they, they pile up their clothes on the back of the donkey. Uh, Jesus goes and he's riding on this donkey. He's coming into Jerusalem. And, and he is going and he is, he is praising uh, God. All these people are going and they're, they're praising Jesus here with this. And, and they're going and they're shouting out, Hosanna! Hosanna! 
As if we were to go and look at the Matthew account, we could go and see those specific words, Hosanna, Hosanna. But they're going and they're proclaiming and praising Christ. They're going, oh, well, here's our king. And of course, the Pharisees, they go and they confront this and they go, you know, they're, they're always going and complaining about something. And he goes, Jesus rebukes them and he says, no, if these people wouldn't cry out, the stones would cry out. I mean, just an incredible thing to think about. But this is, you know, today is Easter, or excuse me, it's not Easter Sunday, it's Palm Sunday. Next Sunday is Easter Sunday, which of course is the resurrection. And this Friday is Good Friday. This same crowd that is shouting Hosanna, and we're going to get to that here in a little bit. I'm just getting a little ahead of myself because this is such an exciting text. They're shouting Hosanna and they're praising God. They're saying, this is our king. Those shouts turn into a crucify him shortly. I mean, this, this, this is incredible spiritual whiplash that this crowd ends up having. having. But I want us to, to realize here as we look at this, the first person I want us to see in this narrative is, is Jesus. Of course, Jesus here, he is the, the, the rightful king. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the God of creation. And, and here he is, and he tells people to go and to do these things, his disciples to go and to do this. They go and they do this. They obey him, and rightfully so, because he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords, and he rightly enters in in a kingly way there uh, into Jerusalem. And of course, people are rightly praising him. And of course, Jesus does nothing wrong in this narrative. He rightly rebukes uh, the Pharisees. And we'll look at that when we look at the Pharisees. Jesus does everything absolutely right because Jesus is God. He is perfect and he has no sin. But, but where does Jesus end up? Where does Jesus end up? As I said here by the next Friday here, just a few days later, Jesus ends up on a cross even though he is innocent. Even though he has done nothing wrong, he ends up on a cross. But the next person that I want us to take a look at here are the disciples. Are the disciples. Now, I love this here. Let's read Jesus' words because, I, I mean, this is an incredibly crazy thing that it seems like. It says, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village opposite of you, where as you enter, you will find a colt tied, which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you loosing it? And thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. Now, put yourself in the position of, of these two disciples, okay? Put yourself in that position for just a moment. If Jesus said... I want you to go and, and grab a donkey for me. Bring it here. And if the owner stops you, just tell him the Lord has need of it. I, I mean, think about that for just a moment. That, that seems absolutely crazy. You're there at face value. You know, because I mean, hey, I want you to go and take something. And, and if somebody confronts you, just say the Lord has need of it. And yet, what do these disciples do? They obey. 
This is the good thing about the disciples here in this passage. The disciples don't end up in a good place uh, as we go and we look at the broader narrative. But, but here in this point and at this time, the disciples did what was right. They went and they obeyed. They had an active obedience. What God told them to do, they went and they did. And that is what we should all strive for. We should strive for having an active obedience in our life. This is, this is what God calls each of us to go and to have. He wants us to have an active obedience, to go and to listen to what God has to say, to go and to obey him immediately, to go and to say, God said it, I believe it, that settles it, I will do it. That's what God wants for us to have. You know, uh, a, a few days ago here, earlier in this week, I think if I'm getting my, my day straight, it's kind of difficult to keep our day straight, but earlier this week, we had what was called April Fool's Day, right? April 1st, April Fool's Day. Now, I, I really enjoy uh, April Fool's Day normally. It's kind of a fun time, and I really enjoy when April Fool's Day falls on a, uh, on a church day. And this year, if I, if I remember correctly, it landed on a Wednesday, which is normally a church day. Of course, we haven't had our Wednesday church services. But that's normally a church day, and I love it when it falls on a church day. And it's not because I have some elaborate scheme uh, planned out to, to go into to fool people, but it's because there is a passage of Scripture that I love preaching on April Fool's Day, and that is the, the passage where Jesus goes and preaches, and he tells us the story about the wise man and the foolish man. Now, we know the story about the wise man and the foolish man. The wise man, he built his house upon the rock. He built his house upon the rock. When the rains came down, the floods came up, the house and the rock stood firm. That's the wise man. And the foolish man, though, he built his house upon the sand, right? He built his house upon the sand, when the rains came down, the floods came up, the house had a great destruction. It fell. Now, we, we recognize that, of course, from the little kid's song, and we recognize Jesus preaching on that. But what we don't realize is that Jesus was making a point when he was preaching that. Jesus was going and saying, the wise man, he says, I, anyone who hears my word and does it, I liken him to a wise man, a wise man who built his house upon the rock. That's what Jesus says. And then Jesus goes and says, anybody who hears my word, they still hear my word, but they do not do it. I liken him to a foolish man who builds his house upon the sand. Now it's true then that leaves, according to what Jesus is saying, the, the, the logical inference there of Jesus Christ is saying that there is somebody who is worse than a fool. That's somebody who refuses to listen to the words of God whatsoever. But in order to be wise, according to Jesus Christ, Wisdom comes through not just hearing God's word, but through obedience. Of course, the, the, uh, Solomon says in the book of Proverbs that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And of course, we're not truly fearing God if we're not obeying God. And so in these disciples, they had an active obedience that is what we ought to be pulling out of this passage here, I think, in the Palm Sunday passage. In the triumphal entry passage is that we ought to strive in our life to have an active obedience to God. You know, so many times we go and we look out through the world and we go, you know what, I'm going to go and see how far I can go before I am forced to obey. We're going to look at another character that, that kind of has that attitude. I'm going to go and I'm going to obey in as little as possible to still be counted as obedient. But the reality of it is, is that 
we are to obey and we are to obey fully and we are to be seeking where we are to obey, no matter how crazy it might sound. It, it sounds crazy to me for somebody to go and say, go get a donkey. And if the owner says, what are you doing with my donkey? What, what are you doing with my livestock? What are you doing with my property to go and to respond to them? The Lord has need of it. I mean, that sounds pretty crazy to me. That sounds pretty brazen, but of course Jesus said it. God said it, so therefore they obeyed it and it is right. But I want us to notice here, this is not where the disciples stayed. See, the disciples did something that was really great and we should go and we should look at that. We should apply that to our life. We should take that obedience, apply it to our life, seek to where we might obey. But I want us to remember the disciples ended up as deserters after Christ was betrayed. The disciples ended up as deserters, deserters after Christ was betrayed. Now, of course, he was betrayed by one of his disciples, Judas. He was denied by Peter. But Jesus hung alone upon the cross. They scattered. John stayed a, a, a far distance off, but close enough to see. But for all intents and purposes, they had spiritual whiplash. And understand here, they were going to go, and they thought this triumphal entry was that Jesus was about to come and to become king of the Jews, to become king in Jerusalem. And we know this here because if we go back just a little bit, let's go back here to the parable that Jesus gave just before this triumphal entry. And let's go back to verse 11 of Luke chapter 19. It says, Now as they heard these things, and by the way, what they're talking about here, this is right after uh, Zacchaeus. This is right after Jesus has his interaction with Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus has the great repentance in Jericho. It says in, in verse 11 here, it says, Now after they heard these things, he spoke another parable. And why did he speak it? He says, Because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. Understand here, Jesus goes and he realizes that these people that are following him, these people that have seen what he's been doing, they think that Jesus is about to set up God's kingdom on earth right now. Now, we know that Jesus did not set up God's kingdom on earth right now. It's not set up quite yet. Jesus is coming back. And by the way, he had a triumphal entry into Jerusalem here on a donkey, but when Jesus sets up his kingdom on this earth, he will have another triumphal entry, but it will be on a horse with a sword. But let's look at this, this parable here because I think it gives us great insight into, into how the disciples, as to why the disciples deserted him because I think they totally missed this parable. They totally didn't get it. And of course it makes sense as to why the crowd goes from praising him and shouting Hosanna and then going and saying crucify him shortly thereafter. But it says in verse 12, it says, Therefore he said, A certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten minas, and he said to them, Do business till I come. But the citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. 
And so it was that when he returned, having received the kingdom, he then commanded these servants to whom he had given the money, and he called to them that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Master, your minutes have earned ten minutes. And he said unto him, Well done, good servant, because you were faithful in very little, have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Master, your minna has earned five minas. Likewise, he said to him, You also be over five cities. Then to another came, saying, Master, here is your minna, which I have kept and put away in a handkerchief. For I feared you, because you are an Austrian man. Uh, you collect where you did not deposit and reap where, what you did not sow. And he said to him, out of your own mouth, I will judge you, you wicked servant. You knew that I what was an Austrian man collecting what I did not dis, uh, deposit and reaping where I did not sow. Why then did you put my money in the bank and at my coming, I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, take the minute from him and give it to him who has 10 minutes. But they said to him, master, he has 10 minutes. For I say to you that everyone who has will be given, and from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. But bring here those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. Now Jesus gives this parable. Now this is an interesting parable. We're not going to get really deep into this parable, but I want us to notice a few things here. First of all, I want us to notice what Jesus was getting at was that he was purchasing a kingdom. But he was going to come back for that kingdom. And so he was leaving a stewardship of money, a stewardship of talents, a stewardship here of different people that they're to have. And he was going to give stewardship and that they're going to give an account for the stewardship of what Jesus Christ Gave them, And of course, God has given to each one of us a stewardship. And the question is, 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 is how have we used what, what Christ has given us? How are we stewarding what Christ has given us during this time when he is away and he'll come back to receive his kingdom, to set up his kingdom? But I also want us to notice here that, that there is a, a bad judgment on those who he gives something. Those who are bad stewards, uh, th there will be a, a stripping away. There will be a burning of the works in, in the Bema seat. And, and they will be saved yet by the fire, but they will be ashamed in that day. But then I also want us to notice here that, that what he says here, but bring here those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and slay them from before me. Slay them before me. Jesus gives a pretty harsh parable here because he does come with a sword and that sword isn't a decorative thing. When he comes back, he comes with a sword to judge and this is why people ought to get right with Jesus Christ today. This is why people ought to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior today. This is why we ought to be proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Christ died for our sins, that he is buried and that he rose again because Christ is returning. And we go and we can look out at the signs of the times. Perhaps they're starting to line up with Matthew 24 in the prelude to the, to the great tribulation Perhaps they're starting to line up to that. Perhaps God will tarry for another 10,000 years. I don't know how long it's going to be, but I do know one thing. Today we're closer to Jesus Christ coming back than what we were yesterday. And when he comes back, he will give, everyone will give an account to him and he will require an account. And so we must proclaim the word of God. But these disciples, they didn't get it. His disciples, they didn't get it. They missed it. 
They were the batter who was up, and the 100-mile-an-hour fastball came right down the pike, and they swung, and they missed. They didn't get it. They're thinking Jesus is going to establish his kingdom right then and there, and that's why they are going and praising him and doing all these great things. And then they desert him. And then they deny him. And, of course, Judas betrayed him. We must recognize the full counsel of what God is saying. We must recognize the full Bible in order for our, our obedience to be consistent. In order for our obedience to be consistent and us not become a deserter of Jesus Christ, we must take the Bible at its word and look at it no matter what the hard truth is, no matter what the, 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 the destruction is. We must take the Bible at its word and obey it. But this brings us to the next character in the narrative, and this is the owner of the donkey. It says, So those who were sent went their way, and they found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owner of it said to them, Why are you loosing the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of him. And they brought him to Jesus and threw their own clothes on the colt, and they set Jesus on him. Now, we don't know much about this owner of the colt. We don't know where he ended up. We don't know if he ended up with the crowds that shouted out, crucify him. We don't know much about where he ends up, so we can't talk about the bad things uh, necessarily, per se, the bad things about the owner uh, of this, this colt or this donkey. But I want us to realize here, this man was passively obedient. Passively obedient. The disciples in this narrative, they were actively obedient. They, they were going and they listened to what God said and they went out and they did it. They were going and they were, they were following Jesus. They were his disciples. They were there. They were in active obedience at this time. But this man here, he was in passive obedience. Passive obedience. Now understand this here because this is, this is a little bit different. And I want us to realize here the numbers of the different people in, in, in this segment here, okay? I'll, I'll go ahead and, and give a spoiler alert of the different, uh, the, the different characters that are in this narrative. We've already read it, so I'm sure you picked them out. But you have Jesus. There's only one Jesus. That's not very hard for us to understand. There's one Jesus. He's God in this narrative. And, of course, we're, we're not going to line up as Jesus in this narrative because, well, we're not Jesus. Then there are the disciples. Now, there are two specifically mentioned, but we know that there are 12 uh, that were there with him. There were there at least 12 that were with him. Then we see here there is the one owner, the one owner of the donkey. Then we also notice here there are several people in the crowd, a multitude in this crowd, a multitude. And then also notice there are several Pharisees. We don't know the exact number, but we know that there are more than one because it is a, uh, a plural that's there. And some of the Pharisees called to him. And some of the Pharisees. So we go and we look at that. I want us to realize this because there is only one owner of the donkey. He is the exception, not the rule in this narrative. He is not one of the ones that, that there is a large number of. And that's important to understand because he had a passive obedience. And I think that most people, most people in the world, we want to have a passive obedience to Jesus Christ. See, a passive obedience has this attitude of just like 
The, the, the owner of this donkey, they're sitting there, they're going about their life just as they want to go about their life, doing what they want to do, going and living their life how they want to live their life. And then, if God says, the Lord has need of it, the Lord has need of thee, the Lord wants you to do something. If they get two by four by Jesus Christ, words directly from Jesus Christ saying, God needs you to do this. God needs you to do this. Then they say, oh, I guess I'll obey. But they weren't seeking to obey. This owner isn't, wasn't seeking to obey. He was going about his business, doing his own life. He wasn't even part of the crowd that was gathering, apparently. He wasn't even out to go and to check out who Jesus was. He was just going and, and living his life how he wanted to live his life. And, but then when he was two by four by Jesus Christ, he said, fine, I'll obey. We don't know what his attitude was, if it was an excitement or not. But it doesn't seem like this man was seeking to obey Jesus other than in a passive sense that I guess I will obey. Okay, fine. If God needs it, here you go. Go and take it. Go and do it. What an incredible thing. I think this is how most people live their life. They want to go and they say, you know what? If God goes and he makes, goes out of his way to tell me exactly what he wants me to do, then I guess I will do it. The thing is, of course, is that God has gone out of his way to tell us exactly what he wants us to do, and it's found in his word. But we have to go and open up our Bibles, read it, and apply it to our lives in order to be obedient. You know, many people want to be the exception to the rule, and I, I can't help but think of other exceptions in the Bible. And, and another exception comes up, and that's the, the thief on the cross. The thief on the cross. You know, there's no doubt people can be saved. As long as they're on this earth, they can be saved. And they can be saved on their deathbed. I have 100% belief in that. The thief on the cross is a, is a perfect example of that. He was saved, literally, on his deathbed, right? And he is in paradise today. He's with Jesus Christ today. But many people go through their life hearing the warnings of God's word. Hearing the warnings, repent from your sin. Hearing the warnings there, all of sin falls short of the glory of God. Hearing the warnings in God's word, for the wages of sin is death. And they go and they say, you know what, I'll repent. You know what, I'll confess my sins. You know what, I will believe in Jesus Christ as my Savior on my deathbed. I'll do it later. I'll do it later. Because you know what? You can get saved on your deathbed. When it's convenient for me, that's when I'll do it. They go and they say here, and they think that they are the exception to the rule. You know, almost everybody thinks they are the exception to the rule. Isn't that amazing? When you, when you go and you look at that, everybody thinks they're the exception to the rule. And, and I, I remember in high school, looking out, and, and, and when I was in high school here, I was homeschooled, so I was part of a homeschool group. It was a Christian homeschool group. Uh, you had to sign a doctrinal statement the family did to be part of this homeschool group. And I remember going in one time looking up statistics and saying, you know, statistically, so many percentage of people of your high school classmates would end up in jail. So many people would end up uh, pregnant out of wedlock. So many people would end up, uh, you know, leaving the church. And I remember going and looking out and seeing that, and looking out, taking a look over everybody. And you know what I thought? I thought, ah, these statistics must be inflated from the Californians. That's what I thought. Now, the statistics didn't exactly hold true. Perhaps it was a little bit inflated by the Californians. But I remember looking out at my friends thinking, none of these people would go to jail. None of these people would go and leave the church. 
I mean, sure, they got some things wrong in their life. You know, none of these people would have children out of wedlock. Several of them had children out of wedlock. Several of them have left the church. Some of them have been in jail. Some of them lived their life in prison, to be frank. Why is it? Like I said, it wasn't necessarily exactly true of the statistics, but you could definitely get the, the barometer on the statistics. It wasn't that far off. Why is that? How could that be? These are, these are Christian homeschool families. Well, it's because statistics are there for a reason, and we all often think we're the exception to the rule that we can play with fire and not be burned. We can't. Perhaps you are the exception to the rule, but I wouldn't bank on it. I doubt it here. There was a whole crowd that was a multitude. Chances are you're not the passive, obedient person who does the right thing at the right time just because God so said it. Chances are that we would get so busy in our life that we would say, even if the Lord says, I have need of thee, we would go and say, you know what, God, I don't care because I'm not listening to you anymore because I like the way I want to live my life. You know, chances are on our deathbed, we, we, if we're waiting for our deathbed to accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, chances are that on our deathbed, we're going to deny Jesus Christ because we didn't accept him before. Or chances are we won't know when our deathbed is going to be. You know, we're not guaranteed another day. We, we might get the, the, the coronavirus and our lungs might fill up with fluid or blood or whatever it's filling up with, and we might die the next day. We have no idea. Maybe there won't be a ventilator for us. Maybe we'll go and get hit on our way home from wherever we're going. And die. Don't bank on being the exception to the rule, but act as if you are the rule itself and perfect in those statistics so that you might guard yourself against making a foolish decision. This owner of the donkey, there's only one in this passage, and he was an exception to the rule. He was passively obedient. Don't seek to be passively obedient. Be actively obedient to God. But I want us to notice the crowd here. And I'm going to focus in on a word that's found in the Matthew account more than the Luke account. But, but I trust you're familiar enough with this passage. It says, picking up in verse 34... Actually, we'll pick up in verse 37, excuse me. It says, Then, as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and to praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes. In the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. We see the crowd. The crowd is the, the largest group in this narrative. It's a multitude that's here. And they're saying, blessed is the king who comes. They didn't get his parable. They didn't understand. They thought Jesus was coming right now to dethrone the Roman Empire and to set up his kingdom. That's what they thought. They didn't get it. In the Matthew account, it goes and it says they were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And we normally think of that word Hosanna as a great word. Doesn't it sound great? Hosanna, what does it mean? It means save now. What were they crying out? God, be our king. Jesus, right now, be our king. Take over. Let's fight. Let's do this. Let's do this. Don't go to the cross. Is what they were shouting. 
Now I want you to notice, first of all, what the crowd did, which was good. They praised Jesus. That's a good thing. That is absolutely a good thing. They were praising Jesus. They may not, might not have understood what was going on. They might not have uh, praised him accurately at this time. They may not have understood what Jesus was doing, what his purpose was, what was going on. They might have missed the mark in that sense, but they were praising Jesus, and that was a good thing. And that, that, that is later on confirmed when Jesus goes and says, if these people don't praise me, the rocks will praise me. <laughs> And that's good. But these people were not praising Jesus on Jesus' terms. They were saying, save now. They were saying, Jesus, be what we want you to be. Jesus, be who we want you to be. Save us. Save us now, Jesus. instead of seeing who Jesus was and what Jesus wanted. I can't help but draw a parallel when you consider where the crowd ended up, because the crowd ended up when they were praising Jesus on their own terms, crying out, Hosanna, save us now. They ended up as the crowd that cried out, crucify him. And I can't help but draw a parallel in the day and age and the time that we live in. It's, it's impossible for me to not make this parallel. How many Christians, how many churches were in this crowd three weeks ago, four weeks ago, five weeks ago, six months ago, two years ago, crying, Hosanna. Hosanna! Jesus! Jesus is great! Isn't Jesus oh, so wonderful? You know, I'll, I'll preach Philippians 1.21, for to me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. The government said to shut down our churches. Oh, let's shut down our churches. I mean, I, I'm sorry. I don't mean to be a jerk when I say it, but, but I, I cannot, I could not listen to a pastor who shut down his church because the government said so. I, if, if they preach Philippians 1.21, somebody deserves to punch him in the face. I mean, it's, I, I know you think I'm getting crazy here, but think about it. For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. It literally says that in the Bible. In the Bible. Is that not the most anti-cultural verse that we have in the word of God today? You just want to kill people by having church. No, you just don't believe in Jesus. I know it's harsh, but you're just crying, Hosanna is what all they're doing. Understand, though, that's where they were. That's where they are. I'm not saying it to go and to completely slay them because look, it's right here in the Bible for us. They're crying Hosanna, Jesus on our terms rather than us on Jesus' terms. But understand something as they're crying out, save now. Jesus never saved one soul on their terms. He only saved souls on his terms. That's why it is Jesus and Jesus alone. And Jesus said in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. What is reasonable? What is reasonable? What is too much to give to God? What is too much to sacrifice to God? What is too much to live for God? There is not too much. 
He gave his life for us. Should we not also give our lives for him? People cry out, Hosanna, save now. They're the ones who are crying out, crucify his bride today. They're the ones who cried out, crucify him. It's because they don't get it. Jesus is worth everything. We sing the songs, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. We sing the songs, I surrender all. We sing the songs, I'd rather have Jesus. I can't help but notice in our society that's not true. I believe it was A.W. Tozer who said, we don't need to speak lies in church because we sing them. Jesus on our terms is not the right Jesus. It is Jesus on his terms and we must obey him. And most people are part of the crowd. But there is another character in this and this was the religious leaders and it's in verse 39. And it says, and some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Rebuke those who are praising you. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Of course, the Pharisees are the ones who ultimately paid off Judas to go and to kill Jesus. We know that the Pharisees, they're, they're bad guys. But I want us to notice that they want to put a muzzle on people who are praising and worshiping God. And there are people like that today. Some are religious leaders. Don't worship God today. Don't worship God today is what they'll say. I can't help but think as Easter draws upon us next week that if we don't praise Jesus, perhaps we would hear the sound of stones praising him. Why? Because Jesus is worthy. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. The question I want us to end on today, there's a couple of them as we just think through this. First of all, one, in the narrative, what represents us? You know, do we have the active obedience are we trying to bank on passive obedience? Are we trying to just praise Jesus in our terms? Are we telling people don't worship God? I trust that's not you. But also, I want to ultimately ask us, is Jesus really worthy? Is Jesus really worthy? Because if he's not, we can take our Bibles and we can throw them away. We can have a social club and we can talk about how it's just good to be nice to one another. That's fine. We can do that. That's how most churches are in all honesty throughout the Cedar Valley. That's why it wasn't a big deal when they shut their doors. I know, I know it's harsh. But... Remember Jesus said, verse 27, 
But bring here those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. We serve a serious God. And if we're not using harsh words to express that seriousness, we're ultimately hating our neighbor more than I can ever imagine. If we're not telling people Jesus is coming with a sword, and that sword's not to look cool, that sword is to slay those who are his enemies, we best be right with Jesus. Is Jesus worthy? He was so worthy that as he triumphantly entered into Jerusalem, he said even the rocks would cry out if people didn't. Is he still that worthy king today? And if he is that worthy king, will we live for Jesus Christ? Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we do just thank you for this day and we thank you for the opportunity given us to come and to look into your word. What a privilege that is, Father and Lord, we would just pray that you might be glorified. Lord, we know that there are those who turned against you. We know that there are those who had spiritual whiplash, who deserted you, who betrayed you. Lord, we know that there are those who had spiritual whiplash and they went from shouting our king, to crucify him. Lord, I pray that we might not have that spiritual whiplash to turn away from you, but Father, that we might be faithful and wholly set upon you alone. That we would realize there is no cost that is too great. But Father, that you are worthy and it is because you live. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.